Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast, where we interview growers from all over the world, both beginners and experts, seeking to learn more about what they know about gardening and how they do things in their garden. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This episode number 106. In this episode, I interview Dr. MJ Coco. Many of you caught the episode I did with him last week where he talked about growing in Coco Coir. Well, he's back again for this back-to-back episode special, and this week he's going to talk all about LED grow lights, another area where his knowledge goes deep. Not only does he talk about LED grow lights versus other types of lighting, but he also gets into things to look for in an LED grow light. He talks about the grow light calculator he created, talks about some of the best LED grow lights on the market today here in 2023, and so much more. I do have a quick announcement that I wanted to mention before we get into the episode. I have launched a clips channel on YouTube. So basically these Garden Talk podcast episodes will be cut down into smaller clips bite-sized chunks and they'll be on that clips channel new clip every single day so check out that channel simply search garden talk clips i also have a link in the youtube description section below i want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring free information about gardening all plants to the general public that being said i'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible thanks to ac infinity for sponsoring this episode They have two different series LED grow lights, the Ion Board and the Ion Grid. The Ion Board fixtures are board style and use Samsung LM301B diodes, while the Ion Grid series has an open center design and uses Samsung LM301H diodes. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these grow lights. And the discount code MrGrowIt15 works on both Amazon and their website, acinfinity.com. And we're back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I am joined with Dr. MJ Coco. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, back-to-back episodes. First time we've ever done that on the Garden Talk Podcast. Uh, If you guys missed last week's episode, I sat down with Dr. MJ Coco and we talked about growing in cocoa. A lot of good information. And then you also have a lot of knowledge when it comes to LEDs. And that's what I want to get into in this episode, because really lighting in general, I know we can narrow down the focus. Lighting is such a broad topic, right? So if we can narrow it down to LEDs, but I'm sure there's going to be some overlapping with other lighting as well. But uh, yeah, looking forward to picking your brain on this one. Yeah, it's, you know, understanding light is something that a lot of farmers take for granted because you're growing outdoors under the sun. Um, it's something that I didn't think about a whole lot until I became, um, you know, an indoor grower and indoor growing, you know, understanding how to deal with horticultural lighting and what we need to understand about it and, um, you know, how to effectively deploy it. As we were talking in the first episode we did, you, you know, the, the cost of running those lights is just such a huge part of sort of what we're doing as growers that really understanding what light is, how light works, what we need, how to get it, um, can really improve the efficiency in your grow. Definitely a key component of the grow, that is for sure. So I'm excited for this one. But first, can you introduce yourself for those that didn't catch the first episode we did together? Sure, yeah. I'm Dr. MJ Coco, trying to just, you know, share scientifically sound knowledge about how to grow soilless and beyond just getting into growing in cocoa, like we talked about last time, um, you know, how to grow effectively, how to understand the various aspects of, of that are really sort of scientific around being an effective indoor 
you know, doing effective indoor horticulture. So not just sort of understanding fertilization, um, root health, you know, irrigation, those kinds of issues, different grow media. Um, but like we're talking about now, lighting is such a huge aspect of, of indoor horticulture. So, and it's not, you know, whether you're growing in, in, you know, living soil or rock wool or cocoa or whatever other media, um, you know, it, it's applicable to all growers to, to understand how to effectively use light. So, um, yeah, I, that's my background. I have a PhD in, um, agricultural and economic anthropology. I worked with farmers from Central America and Southern Mexico. Um, and really got into studying the, the science of indoor horticulture. Um, right after I got back from doing my dissertation field work. And, and like I told you last time, you know, kind of took that same approach. So um, I have training as a, as a graduate student, as a professor and, um, you know, access to, to those materials and sort of that background in terms of how to approach this. You know, one of the things when I really started getting into the online growing community, um, was the amount of like bro science, uh, the amount of sort of things that weren't valid that a lot of growers believed in and still practice, um, you know, more so in, in certain online growing communities than, than in others. But I, I definitely saw the need to just sort of provide accessible knowledge to growers that was scientifically valid. Um, so that's what I've tried to do and, you know, getting into lighting as we're going to get into today, this has been my, my big project for the last several years. And it's something that gets me excited. I'm in the middle of testing light right now, actually. So, um, and doing that kind of primary research, basically doing my own tests and understanding how lights work because I get my hands on a lot of them has been a really exciting part of, of learning about how lights work. It's exciting to me as well. I know it's not exciting for everybody, but it's certainly exciting for me. Let's start off with the basics here. I started growing about 13 years ago and there was no LEDs. It was HPS, MH and oh, HPS. under metal halide and, and flowering under HPS, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I got my first LED in 2015 and now it seems like everybody's buying LEDs. What was your first LED back in 2015? It was P9XML2 by Platinum LED. Old school. They're actually a funny thing is they're, they're still selling that light today. <laughs> it's like it was released in 2015. It's like, uh, okay, outdated, but um, okay. <laughs> LEDs have come a long way. That whole horticultural, the, the revolution that we've seen in the last 10 years in horticultural lighting, basically from you know 2012 to 2022 or so, was just such an exciting and dynamic time where the whole industry just kind of flipped on itself. Um, LEDs not only sort of came to the mainstream, but became more efficient. Um, that was sort of the, the first wave was LEDs became more efficient than the gas discharge lighting. And then the costs of the LEDs came down, right? And that happened in sort of two distinct m movements. Um, like from 2012 to 2016, the capacity for LEDs to really perform better than the gas discharge lights, like hit. I mean, and it became obvious by the end of that period that you know LEDs were were better than than gas discharge lights. 
Um, but they were super expensive at that point to get good ones. There was a lot of crappy ones that started entering the market, but to get good ones, they were really expensive. And, you know, since like 2016 to 2022, the, the prices have just come down as, as more and more manufacturing has come online. Um, you know, as the full spectrum diodes in particular have, have found more mainstream applications and been manufactured in larger and larger quantities that the unit prices drop significantly. And that's allowed, you know, all manufacturers to produce lights that are like, you know, even cheap lights these days that now not all lights, but you can still get, you can certainly get some cheap lights on like Amazon that are, are better than anything that was available in 2016. Um, better than you know your first cob and they are still selling some of those but it's just it's tremendous how we've seen that sort of the the technology progress and then the prices collapse yeah i lived through that time as well and uh, it's it's crazy to see the way it went but let's uh let's start from the the beginning here just basics leds what are they actually leds are <laughs> are you make the use of semiconductors. So semiconductors just material that doesn't conduct electricity well, but it conducts electricity sort of somewhat. It's semiconductive and that's why it's called a semiconductor. Um, LEDs in particular use a PN type semiconductor where um, you know electrons are basically pushed from p-type material to n-type material and as they cross that juncture um the electrons are forced to to descend in orbit um as they descend in orbit they lose energy and we can we can by selecting the right semiconductor materials sort of make the electron lose the right amount of energy and it will produce a, a photon of a specific amount of energy. So, uh, you know, a semiconductor, basically we just push electricity through this material and as the electrons, and I'm sorry, they move from the N-type to the P-type material, as they move across there, they release this energy that is in the form of an electron. Um, each semiconductor will lead to a, a specific drop in energy. So as it moves from the N-type to the P-type, it's got to you know, drop so many band levels, basically, and that determines how much energy it has to release. And that determines the wavelength of the photon that's created. Different wavelength photons have different sort of amounts of energy in them. So if there's a lot of energy in the photon, then it's going to be blue or ultraviolet. If there's less energy in the photon, then it's going to be red or infrared. Um, and every single photon that comes out of a semiconductor is going to have basically the same amount of energy and be basically the same wavelength because that's determined by the specific materials that are used in the PNN type material, sort of how far that electron has to drop as it crosses the junction. Um, could get deeper and deeper into that, but it, it gets sort of deeper and deeper into quite literally theoretical physics. Well, we won't get too deep into it. I don't want to do over some of these beginners' heads here, but uh, appreciate the explanation. That's it. So 
electricity sort of gets pushed through a semiconductor and energy is released by by controlling the materials in the semiconductor we we can tune it up so that almost all of the energy that's released comes off as light because it could also come off as heat so that's one area where different kinds of semiconductors um are more or less efficient and in you know that first part of the sort of historical trend right where we're going from like 2012 to 2016 um we saw tremendous gains in the semiconductor materials that were used to really make it so more and more of the energy was being released as light and less and less of the energy was being released as heat. Um, and that's really how semiconductors became so much more sort of efficient. At, at this point, the 450 nanometer semiconductors are 90% efficient. So 90% of the power that we drive to them, and this is blue, 450 nanometers, 90% um, of the energy that sort of is consumed is blue light, becomes blue light energy. Um, and laws of physics suggest that, you know, we can't, we can't get more than 100% of the energy consumed to be blue light energy, right? So we're already at 90%. So LEDs, those semiconductors, especially the blue semiconductors are becoming, are sort of reaching the maximum of efficiency, what we could ever expect out of any lighting technology. So a lot of growers ask like, what's next? And you know, isn't there gonna be some new revolution that like replaces LEDs and gets us, you know, LEDs are twice as good as HPS. Is something else going to come along that's going to be twice as good as LEDs? No, it, it can't happen. It's a violation of the laws of physics. LEDs, like HPS was 40% efficient. And LEDs are like, you know, 80% efficient. Some of the blue chips, like I just said, are up to 90% efficient. We're running out of room to, to continue to sort of grow that. That's interesting. Now, what about the spectrum? Uh, I know the spectrum you can get with LEDs is going to be different than a lot the traditional HPS, for example. A lot of people claim that the HPS is a close closer spectrum to the sun than any LED is. Talk to us about like the spectrum differences between LEDs, what you can get out of LEDs versus what you can get out of some of the other traditional lighting. So each semiconductor creates one wavelength of light. That's it. So 660 nanometer, you know, semiconductor creates photons from like 655 to 665 nanometers, but they're all right in this really narrow little range of spectrum, right? Um, the 450 nanometer semiconductors are, are almost exactly at 450. So like every photon coming out of that, they're monochromatic. They create one color of light. Um, and, and, you know, the earlier generations of LEDs used blue diodes and they used red diodes and in sort of conjunction. Um, and, and that's why, because you have semiconductors that create blue light and you have semiconductors that create red light. There are no semiconductors that create, quote unquote, white light. White light is the combination of several different spectra. So you have photons at different wavelengths all can coming together that create 
white light. And interestingly, you don't need a lot of all of the different lights. You can have a lot of red and a lot of blue. As long as you have some greens and yellows, the light looks pretty white. If you only have red and blue, it, the light looks blurple. And, you know, growers that have been around the block for a few years know what blurple light looks like. It's It's not sort of a... It's certainly not white and it's not pleasant. You can't really see your plants under it very well. And that was one of the big problems with, with blurple light. So what they do to create white light or white diodes is they start with a 450 nanometer blue semiconductor. And then they use phosphor in the glue that sort of holds that semiconductor. And that phosphor distributes the, the energy to the other spectral brands. So they're able to sort of what you're basically doing there, blue photons at 450 nanometers have a lot of energy. Red photons at like 650 to 700 nanometers have less energy. So when you push those blue photons through a media like phosphor that sort of strips them of some of their energy, some of those photons become redder and it sort of diffuses the light through the spectrum to create that white tint. Now, all full spectrum diodes are heavy on blue because they are blue semiconductors. So if you look at the spectral output sort of diagram of what the diodes produce, they all have a strong peak at 450 nanometers because they're using 450 nanometer semiconductors to create the light sort of in the first place, right? Um, and then they'll have a secondary peak out usually at 650, 660 in the high 600s there which is where most of the photons got sort of filtered to as they pass through the, the phosphor. Um, but some photons will land in the middle in the sort of green and yellow spectrum. So, it, you know, as you're throwing a bunch of photons out towards the high 600s, you end up with some in the 400, where the high 400s, 500s, low 600s, even out to the 700s and, and sort of beyond, some photons get sort of slowed down more, they're not, not slowed down, stripped of more energy. Because um, all photons travel at the speed of light, right? Some like longer wavelength photons travel at the speed of, so they get from like this side of the screen to this side of the screen, like that, right? Just like maybe one wave, um, like uh, 800 nanometer or, you know, 650 nanometer. But then you get like 450 nanometer, right? Um, 300 nanometer. You have to like start vibrating more in the same space. Now, every single photon gets from here to here in the same amount of time. So if you have to do 20 vibrations, that's more energy than if you only have to do one vibration in that time, right? So blue photons vibrate faster than red photons in, in that case, but they all travel at the speed of light. Um, so that's one side. They, they, now, light like um, HPS um, or the other, you know, gas discharge lights, they create light in a different way. They basically heat up elements um, that, that create different gases, um, and then they bombard those gases with electrons. Um, as the electrons hit different gases, they gain energy, 
And then as they fall back down to their original energy level, they release photons. And since those collisions happen somewhat chaotically, that, you know, they go to different heights and they fall down at different heights. So it, they create a blend of, of photons across different spectra. Um, and to change the spectrum in gas discharge lighting, you change the, the gaseous elements that are going to be vaporized. So, um, you know, sodium and different um, mercury and, and different things can be vaporized and bombarded. That's the way fluorescent lights work too. Fluorescent lights vaporize mercury and then bombard it with photons and it's the photons sort of hit it, they gain energy. And when a photon or when an electron, sorry, when the electron loses energy, it will release a photon. Um, that energy becomes a photon. So that's one side of it, very different. The other thing we can do with LEDs is we can target spectra. So we can create a diode at 660 nanometers and grow lights all use, not all, but almost all of them use 660 nanometer diodes because, you know, the full spectrum are really 450 nanometer diodes that are throwing some portion of their energy out to the red, but not enough. They're strong in blue and sort of weaker in red. So grow light manufacturers add red to their, you know, add specific red diodes, um, which are super efficient. The, the red diodes are only like 70% energy efficient. But since red photons have less energy, you actually get more photons per watt with a red diode than you do with a blue diode. So like the best blue diodes are like 3.2, 3.3, like the best blue diodes, 3.2, 3.3 micromoles of photons per watt of energy. Um, the best red 660 nanometer photons are over four micromoles of photons per watt of energy, um, even though they're less energy efficient. So basically four micromoles worth of red photons have less energy than three micromoles of blue photons. But plants don't really care about that. The plants care about how many photons are hitting them. Plants care less about sort of how much energy is in each individual photon. Plants respond just as well to a red photon as they do to a blue photon. So one thing we're able to do with LEDs is give them more red photons, which we're able to, to create really efficiently um, and, you know, sort of spike our efficiency numbers by, by targeting the red photons with, you know, a specific semiconductor that very efficiently creates those photons and they're not filtered through anything. Um, gas discharge, if you want to change the, the spectrum, you either change the, the elements that are getting heated and that the, the electrons are, are colliding with, or you filter the light with various things. And anytime you filter the light, you lose efficiency. Um, so the ability of LEDs to create any specific spectrum of light is one of LEDs significant advantages really because we can target things. I think we need to at least mention the other side of this, which is sort of like what spectrum do we want for different plants? 
Um, what, what spectrum are we trying to create? And, you know, that, there's still some really exciting research on that, really exciting research into how much far red light might be beneficial for plants, for example. Um, but the best research suggests that plants want at, at least a, a distribution of light energy sources such that, you know, the pluripoles weren't terrible in that they did target sort of the 450 and the 650 um, ranges. So they weren't sort of just drilling in on one uh, photo system. Um, they're activating both. And, you know, plants do better really with a full spectrum light, but they're most photosynthetically responsive to the blue light and to the red light. Adding green and yellow light, the primary importance of that is for us as growers to be able to see our plants better. If we grow just under blurple, blue and, and red light, it's really hard to identify like plant nu nutrient deficiencies, pest issues, overall plant health issues, because you just don't get to see your plant very well. But in terms of photosynthetic response, Plants grown under blurple lights do pretty well vis-a-vis um, -vis plants grown under full spectrum lights during vegetative growth. Um, plants grown under monochromatic light, so only blue or only red light, don't do very well during vegetative growth. During flowering or reproductive growth, for most plants, there's less significance on spectrum. Um, more significance on flux. So how much light the plant is harvesting as opposed to what specific sort of qualities the lights are. I know a lot of growers think that the specific spectrum that you give, especially during the flowering phase, is going to be sort of the key to harvest quality or to getting the best out of your plants. We don't have really any scientific research to, to support those beliefs. All the research that's been done on, on flowering plants and altering the spectrum really suggests that altering the spectrum has almost no impact on, on harvest yield or harvest quality. We do know that during vegetative growth, plants will respond differently to red heavy spectra versus blue heavy spectra. So if we red shift our, our vegetating light, then the plants will grow lankier. Um, evolutionarily, red light is usually filtered through something. So it sends a signal to the plants that you're growing under somebody else. You better kind of get taller and get up above them. Um, so they, they try to stretch more often in a way that we as growers don't want, they become too sort of stretched out and lanky. So, so we don't want to put them under too much red light. That's why back in the days that we did HPS and, and metal halide, we'd veg under metal halide. It's not because metal halide were better. It's because metal halide have less red in them and the plants wouldn't sort of grow too much. A lot of growers got the idea that we switched to HPS because like HPS was better spectrum for flowering. That's really not true. HPS are more efficient than metal halide um, and plants don't really care what spectrum they're flowered under. So... If we veg plants under HPS, they'd grow too lanky. 
So that was the problem. So we'd veg plants under metal halide and then we'd switch them to HPS because HPS is more efficient, not necessarily because it's going to produce sort of better harvest quality. It would produce higher yields, but the higher yield was because of the increase in efficiency um, for the same sort of wattage output. Um, so I, I just want to say that we want to distribute the light understanding something about spectrum, especially during vegetative plants, vegetating growth is important. But I think a lot of growers sort of think that there's some magic in spectrum during flowering. We don't have anything in sort of the scientific data that suggests that that's really the case. I appreciate you getting into so much detail in regards to spectrum and uh, clarifying some things that were, were incorrect over the years. Now, let's get into kind of what to look for in an LED grow light. There are so many different things that you can look for. I know you created a grow light calculator, which is awesome. Hoping you can talk about that here. But, um, you know, what should folks be looking for? Since you mentioned spectrum, we already you already talked about that as something to look at and what to look at within the spectrum. But par, efficiency of the fixture. I mean, we can go on and on. What are the kind of like the top things people should look for? Because there are so many different things. People get confused pretty easily when it comes to shopping for an LED grow light. So, so break it down for us. So first, we just got to break light into two parts. Light is a particle. A light is a wave. So far, we've been talking about light as a wave. We've been talking about spectrum. We're talking about different nanometers of wavelength, red light versus blue light, how all that. That's all light as a wave. Um, light is also a particle photons. And what really matters, that side flux, what we call flux, the, the amount of photons basically that are hitting the plant, the amount of, of radiated energy that's going to be hitting the plant. Um, it, that's more important for almost all reasons than spectrum. I think a lot of growers get caught up thinking about spectrum and they think about different colors of light and all of this, but the overall amount of light is what ultimately really matters. Almost every grow light has a decent enough spectrum. I don't, I don't sort of knock a lot of grow lights because they have a, a terrible spectrum, but I'll certainly knock them because they don't produce enough photons. So they don't have enough efficiency in, in producing their photons. So we want to talk about counting photons um, and understanding how many photons your grow light will sort of produce because there's a number. And when we're talking about micromoles, we're talking about a number of photons. So think of it as a quantity of light. So every, every grow light can produce a certain quantity of light per second. Okay. And that's what we call the PPF the photosynthetic photon flux. Um, that total amount of light that's created per second, there's different ways to measure it. You can just say, hey, I'm using these diodes that get you know 3.2 micromoles per watt and I got 100 watts, so I got 320 micromoles. You could just do a calculation like that, right? A lot of grow light companies do exactly that. And when you see a number often advertised for their PPF, that's just a, a calculation of what the diode could theoretically do times the number of watts that are being driven through this fixture. And it's kind of BS because it's not reality. So we call that the calculated PPF, right? Because it's not measured. It's just what they do based on the published numbers of the components that they're using. Um, 
the other thing we could do to measure the amount of light that a grow light fixture creates is we could stick it in a device called an integrating sphere. And an integrating sphere measures what we call the total PPF. It actually counts each photon that comes out of that fixture, each and every photon, no matter where it goes, basically, unless it hits the grow light fixture itself, because it's in the integrating sphere and gets like a converted to heat by hitting the gray light fixture itself, it's going to be counted by the integrating sphere. So we call that the total PPF. And a lot of better grow light manufacturers will sort of have their lights sphere tested and then they'll report a sphere test number, usually out to two or three decimal places. So if you see a sphere test number, they're going to advertise something like our fixture gets 2.379 micromoles per, per joule. They're not just going to say like 3.4 or whatever. They're, they're going to sort of have that sort of finer granularity because they actually ran a test and they actually have something that they're reporting there. But we don't grow our plants in a sphere. Um, you know, we don't grow our plants on the inside of an integrating sphere. We grow our plants usually in a grow tent. So a sphere is an overcount of how many photons will actually hit your plants in a grow tent. So if you want a better understanding of sort of what a grow light is going to be able to deliver to the canopy of your garden, then you want to look at a PAR test result. Um, a well set up PAR test can measure what we call the usable PPF. And the usable PPF is the number of photons that actually are going to hit the plants in your grow. Um, that's what I try to measure in my PAR tests. So you set up a fixture and the way it could be used. Um, and then you measure how many photons actually arrive to the, the canopy of that space. So what we're doing there is we're, we're using a, a quantum sensor, a PAR sensor, which is actually measuring PPFD. The D stands for density. So we're not, the sensor doesn't count the total number of them. It doesn't know the total number of them. It just knows the number that are hitting the sensor. And it says, well, this is how dense the photons are that are basically hitting this sensor. If we take a good sample across a, a PAR test like that, then we can extrapolate from that density across the, the area, the size of the area that we know, and that gets us to the quantity, the overall quantity of light. Um, There's a, a lot into PPF, but PPF, whether it's calculated PPF, whether it's total PPF, or whether it's usable PPF, uh, are metrics to describe the total amount of light that a fixture will produce. And that's what our calculator sort of fundamentally works with. Because the, the amount of light that a grow light fixture creates determines how much area that grow light can cover at a given density. Uh, you know, a density of light. So if you have a thousand micromoles, of light and you want 500 micromoles per square meter of density and you had perfect distribution which isn't realistic but just to say you had perfect distribution then you could grow with two square meters right because you have a thousand micromoles divided by two square meters would be 500 micromoles per square meter that micromoles per square meter is the ppfd measurement um, and, and that's basically how we go from an amount 
um, of light, we have an idea of how much density we want to grow with, what the plants can tolerate, and so how much space a different grow light will be able to cover. Um, the, the grow light calculator sort of works with those numbers. So if a grow light will tell you something like, this grow light gets 2.8 micromoles per joule, and that might be all you know about the grow light. You should assume that that number is a calculated PPE, that's photosynthetic photon efficacy, but it relates to um, PPF, which is the total amount of photons. So you can take that 2.8 over to our grow light calculator. Take that 2.8 and plug that into the, the micromoles per joule tag. And then how many watts does the grow light say it has? It's a, you know, a hundred watt light. Um, just for simplistic reasons. So you'd put that in the, in the watt field and then you'd put the, the cost, which it just needs to do the cost efficiency. And then you'd be able to select, is this total PPF? Do I think that they actually did a sphere test? I'll call it total PPF. Do I think that this is just a number that they calculated? You know, I'll call it calculated PPF. Um, and the calculator will make its own conversions based on, all right, if that's calculated PPF, this is what we would expect it to be able to do in terms of usable PPF. Um, that's one of the big things that the calculator does is convert between those different types of PPF. And then some actually more simple calculations about how much area could this grow light cover? How much could you reasonably expect to harvest from such a grow light? Because all of that really is a function of the amount of light that you're you're providing to your plants. So we can have a fairly good estimate of your harvest potential, not your sort of guarantee that you'll actually hit that, but what your harvest potential is, how much coverage you could get, um, and break down, you know, how efficient the, the light is and whether or not it's a good deal. So that's what the, the calculator is designed to do. And, and, and that's it. The, the number one thing, if you're out there shopping for a grow light that I think you should pay attention to is the PAR map. Um, see, because the PAR map talks about the actual light that's hitting the canopy. Those, those numbers that you see in a PAR map are the PPFD numbers. So the density of photons at, at each position across that map. Um, good distribution you don't want to grow. Most growers don't want to put, the, unless you're supplementing carbon dioxide, you're not going to want to put your plants under more than a thousand micromoles of PPFD um, light, basically. And even though you can go outside in the noonday sun and measure the sun at about 2000 PPFD, you don't want to grow plants indoors under a steady light source at higher than a thousand PPFD because they will have light toxicity issues if you do. Supplementing CO2 can get a little bit higher than that. So if you're evaluating a PAR map, make sure that the numbers in the middle of the PAR map aren't above a thousand. If they are, that's not a realistic map. It's also not a realistic map if they're like 500. You'd probably want more light than that. So try to find a PAR map with the center value is close to a thousand. And when the center value is close to 1,000, you want the corners to be at least 500. Um, that's a good distribution of light. No, no hot spot higher than 1,000, and the lowest areas are at least 500. Um, and, and that's sort of what I try to evaluate in my PAR test. Now, make sure that it's a well-set-up PAR test. There's any number of ways that manufacturers can sort of 
goose the numbers on their own tests. So where possible, use the third-party test or at least be confident in how, how they set it up. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking at your Grow Like calculator on your website right now. And I remember when you first came out with us, this was awesome. One thing I really like about it is if you put the cost in there, you can see what the cost efficiency is, like how much you're paying per micromole. That's cool because, you know, if you're paying outrageous price for it, then the fixtures is just not worth it. Yeah, there's to be a relationship there, right? And, and these days, that's the best way to evaluate the cost of a grow light, too, is the cost per micromole. Because what you're buying is a light-creating machine. So how much light can it create? And then, you know, divide that by the purchase cost is what we do for cost efficiency. So say a light that can create 600 micromoles that costs you know, $200, that would be a tremendous deal. That'd be like, you know, 33 cents per micromole, um, which there are some lights that, that are getting towards that range down into the, the 30 cents per micromole. You, you know, when we started, when I did the grow light calculator, we considered anything under a dollar to be a good deal. Right. And this is the, the sort of price drop that we were talking about and, and the efficiency gain had already happened. But you go back to like 2016, 2017, 2018, if, if you could find a grow light that got better than two micromoles per watt, you know, you could find them, but not that was less than two micromoles per dollar or two dollars per micromole, basically. Um, and now you can get them for like 40 or 50 cents per micromole. Um, some of the, the best deals out there, like on sales and stuff, are down in the 30 cents per micromole. So the prices have been basically cut in a third over the last four or five years. Um, really sort of tremendous. Yeah, it's really incredible to see that huge price drop. And it's uh, a lot better for consumers, of course, because they're spending less money on these grow lights. It, it, it's creating new problems. Four yeah. or five years ago, I could basically assume when I'd start talking to a grower that they were underlit. Every grower was underlit, didn't have really enough light. It, it's really actually hard to be fully lit with HPS lighting because it, it the, you know, it's just one bulb in the center and the, the reflectors aren't that great and it creates that central hot spot and it's just hard to get sort of a good distribution of light. So you'd always sort of end up with, you know, good light in the middle and crappy light towards the corners if you were in a single fixture space. Um, and, and growers under LEDs four or five years ago, man, they were, they were all buying the, the, the lies that this 100 watt light was a thousand watt HPS replacement or whatever. And everybody was underlit. But since the efficiency's gone up and the price has come down, more and more growers are not only fully lit, but they have the capacity. You want to be a grower that's fully lit, but you have the the capacity to be overlit and to be actually. I mean, I, I'm running into more and more growers now that are are creating light talks situations um, for their plants. So that that used to not be a thing, really. I mean, especially amongst home growers, it it wasn't a thing to be sort of bleaching your buds because you actually, unless you were HPS and you knew you were too close to the HPS, but not just because like you had too much LED light in your tent. So 
it's it's crazy how that's happened. But growers can definitely be fully lit, and we're seeing home growers pull down tremendous numbers because you know they're great distribution of light across their their tents and really you know good numbers. Not too much heat either, which is sort of the other side of that. So you talked to us about things you can look for in an LED grow light. Let's talk brands. So neither of us are have any exclusive relationships with LED grow light companies. So we're free to talk about whatever brands we want, however we want to talk about them, which is uh, fantastic here. So let's talk brands. What are some of like the top brands or model lights here in 2023 that you recommend people to check out? It, it kind of depends on your price point. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I definitely think there's ways to, to waste a lot of money on lights. Um, I, I think there's a lot of expensive lights on the market that, for me, don't justify the return on investment. I mean, there is no return on investment. I, so to be aware of sort of that side, um, due to the changes in the market over the last, you know, like we've been talking about decade, you can get really decent quality lights for not a lot of money. Um, and there's no reason to pay sort of a tremendous premium. Five years ago, there was a reason to pay a tremendous premium for LED lights because the difference between the top of the market and the bottom of the market was really significant. And the only way you could get the high efficiency fixtures was to, to shell out sort of the, the premium prices for those products. A lot of those companies are continuing to try to demand a premium price but they're no longer offering sort of a compelling advantage over lower cost competitors. So, you know, just to be aware of that, I, I, I see a lot of growers, and I'm thinking, man, you didn't have to spend that much. I mean, this is really even more true in the, in the commercial side of, of growing now um, than in the, the home grow side, although I think it's, it's sort of true on, on both sides that, there's a, a certain sense of luxury pricing where people think that if I'm spending more for something, I'm getting a, a better quality product. In the end, I think, uh, you know, you want to pay attention to these sort of statistics that, that we've been talking about, making sure you're getting a, a quality fixture. Um, with whatever fixture you're getting, making sure like things, you know, they're not overpowering the diodes. They're not sort of goosing the numbers in that way. Look at diode count, I, I think, is really something that I'd encourage you to look at, even over brand of fixture, brand of light. Um, at the at the lower end, because you did ask about brands, um, you know, I've reviewed several of the, the Metacro fixtures that are down in the the. 30 cents per micromol territory. Um, and I'm working with a, a, a couple different commercial growers now that have, have used those, have um, set up the Medicare lights in their facilities and have been happy with them. So uh, I'm continuing to sort of keep my eye on that. That's one I've been, I first reviewed, I think about three years ago now. And at that time I was like, this price is too good to be true. Like what, what's the catch on this? Um, you know, the more mainstream discount brands, um, Mars Hydros, your spider farmers of the world, um, those sort of, they do a lot of direct marketing. They do a lot of marketing through Amazon. Um, they have a, a pretty big chunk of the home grow market in terms of market cap. Um, a lot of their fixtures are pretty decent. 
They're a little bit more expensive, a little bit more expensive than the Metacro fixtures, but you know, they're pretty decent fixtures. I, I, from both of those companies, Spider Farmer and Mars Hydro, I prefer their sort of more discounted line over their more premium line. Um, in, in both cases, they have a premium line that uses the Samsung LM301B diodes, which have gotten, and we should probably talk a little bit about that because it's like the one brand name of diode that growers really know, them and the Ostram 660 nanometers, um, that growers often look for specifically. But I think that sometimes gets you into trouble, and this is a good sort of case point of it. Spider Farmer and Mars Hydro both have their top-end product lines that use the, the Samsung LM301H and the Ostram 660 nanometers. Um, they have reasonable diode quantities and sort of a higher price tag. Both those companies also have sort of a, a more discounted line that uses bridge lux diodes. Um, and they use like three times as many bridge lux diodes as they use of the Ostram diodes. Um, granted, the bridge lux diodes are not as high or rated for as high of wattage, but they're still powering them at a lower percentage of the rated capacity than they are of the Samsungs. And that makes the bridge lux diodes ever so slightly more efficient than the Samsung diodes in their top end sort of model lines. So even though the diodes themselves aren't quite as good, they're using so many more of them that it ends up being more efficient because you're powering them less. And when you, when you power a diode at, at a lower current, it's more efficient. When you try to like step on the gas, you just get, you get more light, but at lower and lower efficiencies. So, so you step on the gas harder. Um, so th those are interesting sort of things to think about even amongst different brands. Moving up a, a sort of a little bit from there, and I, I can justify some of these fixtures in terms of different features and, and different sort of options and things that they have. Um, worked with Photon Tech. Um, the Photon Tech is Lumatech in the rest of the world. They have they have nice fixtures. They're like fifty percent more than the the Mars Hydro Spider Farmer fixtures of the world, and they're like sixty seventy percent more than the the Metagrow fixtures. Um, sometimes even more than that. So, you know, at a certain point, it becomes hard to to justify anything kind of above there. There's certainly companies that are trying to market higher quality lights or other gimmicks and lights, but in, you know, the real differentiation is what we talked about. How many photons can you create and how well do you do it distributing them across the, the grow space? Um, every other thing that grow like manufacturers are trying to do, you know, we were at MJ BizCon and you'd see all these grow like manufacturers that have like, um, angle, they, they can adjust the angle on the LED bar so you can like tilt them back and forth like that. Um, the supplemental UV and, and supplemental IR bars are including UV and IR diodes and it's just gimmicks. It's, it's literally just gimmicks to try to differentiate from other people in the market and, and or sell more lights or charge more money. 
Um, a lot of talk about tunable spectrums and, you know, or proprietary spectrums or it's, it's just mumbo jumbo. It's not related to anything. It's a marketing babble. Pay attention to how many photons are created, how efficient it is, and how much it costs. Um, you know, how, how hard the diodes are driven is probably the next most important factor to consider. So how many diodes there are in total? And how much power is there? You want to have, you know, three to four diodes per watt is, is a good sort of rule to just take to evaluating um, like any standard grow light. And there may be reasons that I would agree that you, you'd accept lower than that, depending on what the diodes were. But in general, you want three to four diodes per watt. If you have less than that, you're going to burn out your diodes faster, regardless of what brand the diodes are. And you're not going to run as efficiently. Um, sort of more diodes than that, you may increase the longevity of your light. Um, but all LEDs are going to sort of lose efficiency through time. So if you buy an LED and you're running it at 100% out of the box, you may need to supplement light after five years or replace it after five years. A lot of the commercial growers I work with, we plan so that they're only running it at like 85% out of the box and can ramp up power over the next few years to extend the life of their fixtures. I don't, I, hopefully I said enough about brands in there. Do you want to add anything or any specific brands that you'd like feedback on? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about like the, like I call the big three coming out of China. You know, you already kind of touched on Mars Hydro, Spider Farmer, and, and Viper Spectre is the other one I kind of want to name that, that, you know, they're coming out with really so cost efficient. Like the other. So that's really, yeah, there's a real relationship between Mars Hydro and Spider Farmer. Viper Spectre is a completely different um, entity. Uh, I think of them slightly different, although I like the new Viper Spectre bar lights. Um, for home growers in particular, I think that they are actually better than, than the, the, um, better at distribution because they're a little bit bigger than the Mars and the spider farmer fixtures. Um, I agree. I should have brought them up. I also think they, they're a good source of even smaller lights, you know, which is another interesting point. Two by two grows or down in that area, I would use a little quantum board. Um, if you're in a three by three or a four by four or a larger space, I would go with an LED bar fixture, um, not a quantum board style light or a cob or whatever. Um, but LED bars are, are sort of considerably more efficient and better at distributing the light. Well, what I was going to ask you about with those three brands in particular is some of them are coming in. I, I mean, you can buy like the KS5000, for example, from Viper Spectre, which I ran for several grows and I love it as well. It's like 500 bucks, you know, to cover a four by four or a five by five grow space. Now, there are some American brands out there, such as like Chill Tech and uh, HLG, for example, who for that same grow space, they have prices that are a lot higher, upwards of $1,000 to cover that size grow space. Is it worth it to be spending hundreds of dollars more for these American brands? I mean, I suppose to a certain extent that might depend on, on what you're spending the money for. Um, it's important to, to sort of recognize the components in a lot of the manufacturing are still being done overseas, even for a lot of the American brands. Um, they're distributed in the United States, but often manufactured overseas anyways. Um, 
it, it's hard for me to justify spending twice as much. It's hard for me to ever justify spending even more than twice as much, which some of those sites cost. Um, it, and, you know, Chilled in particular is creating some of the most efficient fixtures on the market. Um, their Ultra Series, I, I believe, is the most efficient series on the market right now. But, like, it, you know, it would be decades of running at that efficiency before you'd recover the initial investment in terms of how much more expensive those fixtures are. So, you know, Fluence is is another one that's in that. Um, um, oh, who's the, the, the big one that, that gets on my nerves all the time with their, their marketing? Foes, um, F-O-H-S-E, is, is another one that they sell these really high cost lights. Um, they target foes in particular, target sort of the commercial market and their marketing is basically like, we know something about light that nobody else knows and like only our light does it. So if you want this super special magic sauce, then you need to get our specific light. There's a lot of lighting companies that have basically taken that marketing approach to try to convince growers that there's some special quality to their light and that they're the only light that offers it. And so if you want to have the best results, get this. And then they goose numbers on sort of their grams per square foot or their returns or whatever it is that they're trying to sort of prove that point over. Um, I, 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 I don't see how you justify spending the, the costs for, for the, that technology. Some of the fixtures are very nice, but in the end, these grow lights get mounted onto the ceiling of your grow space. And like, you want them to come on when you want them to come on and you want them to go off when you want them to go off. You don't need them to cook you breakfast and make your bed and, you know, do anything else. They're, they're just lights. So that's kind of my, my take on, on the really expensive models. And that's my pitch to the commercial scale. Like I said, I'm working with a, a couple of big commercial farms that just went in all in on Medicro because what we're buying are micromoles of light. And that's the cheapest micromoles per light, basically, that are out there. Um, and now there are legitimate other reasons, I think, for, for choosing different brands. But... Um, you, you want to be able to have a good customer service experience. Uh, and that can be a challenge depending on, on who you're working with. And if you're working with a dealer that they can actually get responses from these organizations, uh, from these different companies. And I, I think some of the American companies may offer, you know, somewhat better, um, points of contact. Yeah, but you're you're being asked to pay twice, and you know I I was looking at actual quotes for one of these grows that I was working with, um, of a hundred and sixty thousand dollars for the the Metacro lights or six hundred and forty thousand dollars. Okay, it, it it wasn't. It's like okay, you can pay an extra half million dollars. I mean, what what do we get for our extra half million dollars? It better be like damn good customer service. That's crazy. Yeah. It, think about it, but micromole per watt or, or cost per micromole. 
um, you know, some of those fixtures and some of those companies that are targeting the commercial space in particular um, are still charging a dollar or more per micromall where, you know, companies that are in more com more competitive markets. It's interesting. Um, and I do consulting in the commercial space and I work with the growers I, I, like this on, on these lights. A lot of the, the, the commercial scale growers are spending other people's money. And if they have a good sales pitch to go back to their investors or to their, their, you know, money man with about sort of, well, this has the latest science lights, whatever, then they'll, they'll get that. I mean, people don't know enough and home growers don't know enough either. And that's sort of hopefully what you and I are on this mission to improve the, the knowledge base so that growers can't be taken advantage of, um, by companies that are just trying to sell them a bill of goods. Well, I appreciate you shedding some light on lighting and talking about some of the things that people can look for within lighting so they aren't getting ripped off. You know, we could go deeper and deeper into brands and there's so many other things that we could talk to about lighting that we can't fit into this episode, but maybe you can come back in the future for another LED lighting episode. Talk to us, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Yeah, so the listeners can find me on my YouTube channel, Dr. MJ Coco YouTube channel. I am on Instagram at, at Dr. MJ Coco and run the website CocoForCannabis.com, which is probably the best place to, to sort of get in touch with me at this point. Um, I'm setting up a, a new sort of landing page, but that's not, not quite ready for myself yet. Um, so yeah, I, I love working with home growers. I've got a bunch of resources and articles available for all sorts of growers. Um, do consulting work with a lot of, of commercial farms, either on sort of getting them set up in the first place or solving problems or increasing efficiency and sort of achieving their goals. Um, you know, if you're interested to to talk about lights, or if you're sort of planning to, to purchase lights as well, um, check out our grow light guide. Um, on the recommended grow lights page, you know, there's a, a form for people to, to schedule appointments with me if they want to talk about larger purchases or if they've got a bigger room that they want to set up and think about how to, to do a light layout or sort of how to effectively approach that. So love working with, with growers. I love sort of straightening out grows and, and helping um, sort of bring people to that, that next level. Um, really enjoyed talking about lighting. I, I hope none of the brands feel particularly called out. Um, I, you know, I think that there's, there's a whole sort of set of brands that, that they need to, to figure out what justifies the costs that, that they're asking. And, if they're saying things that, that I think aren't valid, that's my job is to say, I'm not sure that, that that's sort of valid out there. So I, I'm not trying to make any enemies with that. But I, I do think you need to ask yourself as a, as a grower, you know, what are you paying for in this? And, you know, whether or not it makes sense to, to opt in at these different price points. Um, so hopefully this has been fun and enlightening. I've really enjoyed doing both of these shows with you. So thanks for having me on. And, and you know, it'd be a real pleasure to come back. 
Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you spitting your knowledge to us. Uh, if you're tuning in on YouTube, I'll definitely have a link to his YouTube channel down in the description section below. He's got a ton of PAR test videos on there and also information about growing in cocoa, which we talked about in the previous episode. I'll definitely link that in the description section as well. And if you're interested in more of that uh, science of LED stuff that we got into a little bit, my a recent video on the, the science of horticultural LEDs um, dives pretty deep into like how LEDs work and the efficiencies at different spectrum and, you know, all kinds of questions like that. So um, if that part of this conversation was interesting, I'd recommend following up with that video. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode. And I'd love for you to tune in to future episodes. Dr. MJ Coco, thank you so much once again. I appreciate you and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And grow our love to everyone out there. Peace out, everyone. Catch you in the next episode.